Good afternoon. It's good to see all of you. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah 22. This afternoon, as we prepare for communion, I want to look at an incredible verse in the book of Jeremiah. And you've probably heard this verse, but you probably... I shouldn't say that, because I hope that you all know the context. But sadly, sadly, it's considered obscure, and a lot of people don't know the context. I've told you to turn to Jeremiah 22 because that's where we're going to come back to. But actually, I'd like to, you to go to chapter 23. And in my, in my Bible, it's right there on the same page. And look with me at Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord. Our righteousness. Lord Jesus, you are our righteousness. We, in and of ourselves, are not righteous. No, not one. We are unclean and of a people that is unclean. But yet, as sinners, you loved us. You came, you died for us so that you could clothe us in your righteousness so that we could say, the Lord is our righteousness. Though our own righteousnesses are as filthy rags and do fade as a leaf, you are our righteousness. I pray that now as we look and consider the historical context of this prophecy, we might be encouraged and challenged, that it might strengthen our faith as we consider you the one who knows the end from the beginning, you know all, and that you are the one who orchestrates all the events according to the wisdom of your knowledge and understanding and purposes. And so we seek you and we praise you in your name, amen. Did you see the famous phrase, the Lord, our righteousness. We take and we rejoice in that truth. The Lord, our righteousness. But have you ever considered the historical context of this prophecy and this description of Jesus? In fact, if we look here at the beginning part of it, we find Jesus being described as one brought, raised up unto David, one who's described as a, right, a branch, one who is king that shall reign and prosper. Now, we look at that and we see that and we say, of course, 
This is Jesus. And of course, we know and look forward to the day when he shall reign and prosper. And we look forward to this day when Judah will be gathered together again and Israel will be gathered together again. But those who heard Jeremiah speak this heard it in quite a different context. It was prophesied here. You see that yellow line? There in the days of Jehoiakim, King Jehoiakim. And in fact, chapter 23 here follows what is known as the curse of Coniah. When I say the curse of Coniah, I, I do would like to know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. The curse of Coniah. It's a fascinating curse that takes place in chapter 22. I referred to it this morning and said we'd come back to it this afternoon. And it's incredible considering the fact that it occurs right here in this prophecy. So look with me as we read Jeremiah chapter 22. And here now we have a prophecy that is being made by Jeremiah to Jehoiakim, or what you see up there, Jeconiah, or he also is known by Coniah. Got three names. That's part of the reason why it becomes obscure. So if we look here on our, our timeline or family tree, we see King Josiah. We see his four sons, and you see the grandson, the guy down there on the bottom. There he is with his three names. So this is how he, who the king is, how he's related to. He's the grand con, grandson of the famous King Josiah. All right, you see that? He's got three names, Jeconiah, Coniah, and Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave him when Nebuchadnezzar appointed him as king. And um, so that's how we flow this in. Now, just as a quick review, I wonder, can anyone here give me the order of how these guys were king? Name, name the kings in order of how the, when they became king and the order that they reigned. Anyone think they can do it? Lincoln. Nope. Who else? Yes, Re Rebecca. Jehoahaz. Exactly. Did you all hear that? It goes like this. Oop, I don't know what that's doing. There we go. Josiah first. Then we have Jehoahaz second, then we have Jehoiakim third, then we have Coniah fourth, and then we have Zedekiah. All right, that's how it goes. And then that's the end. The kingdom ceases. Or does it? Ah, well, let's look here. So the guy on the bottom, the grandson, Josiah's grandson, God said concerning him in Jeremiah 22, verse 20. Go up to Lebanon and cry, and lift up thy voice in Bashan, and cry from the passages, for all thy lovers are destroyed. I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou saidest, I will not hear. 
thus hath been thy manner from thy youth, that thou obeyedest not my voice. The wind shall eat up all thy pastors, and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then shalt thou be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness. O inhabitants of Lebanon, thou makest thy nest in the cedars. How gracious shalt thou be when pangs come upon thee, the pain as of a woman in travail. As I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet Upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee hence, and I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out, and thy mother that bare thee into another country where ye were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed? and are cast into a land which they know not. O earth, earth, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. The curse of Coniah, whereupon the Lord calls upon the earth to be witness against him. That's pretty profound because the earth has been around for a long time. And the earth is still witness of this curse. Earlier it spoke of him being though he were a signet ring. We don't have signet rings. But imagine, I think you know what signet rings are to kings, right? Imagine now the king of kings, the god of the universe, saying, though he were my signet ring, I would pluck him off. Look at the curse then that's called to witness of the earth in verse 30. Write ye this man childless. This does not mean that he was childless. He had children. But write him childless. He's considered childless. He's a man that shall not prosper in his days. And then look at this phrase. For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Coniah is declared that none of his seed 
will prosper. Seed speaks of his descendants, right? His bloodline shall prosper. So take your Bibles with me and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogies of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the seed of David laid out for us, generation by generation. And look with me in verse 11. I'm going to read it by the, pronounced not the Greek transliterated um, names. You can see the Greek transliterated names there. I'm going to read it with the Hebrew transliterated names. But chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 11. And Josiah begat Jeconiah and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And we continue down through the generations. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Do we have a problem? The curse is that no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. No man of his seed shall prosper. Look, look with me here at the screen. I'm going to illustrate for you Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 gives us the record of the genealogies from David beginning with his son Solomon right down through all the way to Jesus. Do you see them all there? Now, in the illustration I've made here, do you see something different about the silhouettes I've used? Notice anything about the silhouettes? You know, we're going to play that little game children play, spot the difference. Can you spot any differences between the silhouettes I've used up there? So Elijah's got it, Mr. Dinsmore's got it. Tell me if you see it. You see it? Ha. Huh. What is missing on some of these guys? A crown. Notice where it ended? Right there. There's Kaniah. That's Kaniah. So we have David, and by the way, he was promised the kingdom. And it continues, and it was promised through Solomon, and it, specifically Solomon, and it continues down through Solomon, all these guys, and it ends at Kaniah. You see all these names here? You maybe recognize the name Zerubbabel. I hope you do. Zerubbabel is a post-exile, influential person. He was the royal heir, heir to the throne. Never king. Never king. Never prospered as king. List goes down on through. And we find Joseph. You all know who Joseph is. Joseph, a just man, a righteous man, and a pauper. Living in a slum city. Nazareth. Joseph. He is not prospering as the king of Israel, though he holds the air. So we have a problem, right? Or do we? If Jesus is of the seed of Coniah, he can't have that crown. 
he can't reign. So is there a solution to this problem? Mr. Fleming? Ah, there it is. The other genealogy, you say, what other genealogy? Mary's genealogy. Mary's genealogy and the genealogy recorded in Luke is entirely different than the genealogy recorded in Matthew. And it goes all the way back to David, not through Solomon. Not through Solomon, rather through Nathan. So that means that Joseph and Mary were distant, 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 distant cousins. Distant cousins, because they're great, 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 however many greats this is. Grandfathers were brothers, actually. Um, yeah, they were brothers. And um, I was trying to figure out, because David's family is rather complicated. But here we have it. Well, here's something that's fascinating. And this is intriguing. This shows how the Bible fits together and how God in his infinite wisdom and brilliance and sovereignty had everything figured out from the beginning. Because he knew that we were going to need someone to be our righteousness. He knew we were going to need someone to take our sins upon him and to prosper in accomplishing our salvation. So the curse of Coniah cannot apply to Jesus. If it did, then his death, shedding his blood and his broken body would not prosper for anything effective for us. But it does. So how is the scripture reconciled? Well, actually, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, this was determined. Have you ever wondered of the weirdness of when... When, when God spoke to that serpent, Satan, and he said that the, that, um, oh, we have to turn there. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God is speaking to Satan. This is famous, Genesis 3.15. It says, um, God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. Question. In all of our discussions about where children come from, we don't talk about the woman having the seed. We talk about the seed coming from the man. And so people have always looked at this and said, God didn't know what he was talking about from the very beginning. But actually, God didn't know what he was talking about from the very beginning because he knew from the very beginning that a virgin was going to conceive and bear a son. And before even Josiah lived or Jeconiah lived, back in the days of Ahaz, do you see Ahaz here? We have Coniah here, and we go back, 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 Hezekiah, Ahaz, right there. Isaiah prophesied in Ahaz's day, Behold, I shall give you a sign. You won't ask of a sign. I'll give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. A virgin conceived. So you know what the solution to the problem is? Jesus does not carry the curse of Coniah because he has nothing to do with the seed of Coniah. 
But because he was legally adopted as the son of Joseph, he carries the legal right to the throne. So the curse upon this family and upon Coniah, God from the beginning had it all figured out. And so when we read in Matthew, which is a gospel that was written to the Jews to present Jesus Christ as the Messiah, we read the genealogy of his legal right to the throne through Solomon. And when we read in Luke the genealogy of Mary, we read of the bloodline back to David through Nathan. So in all of God's promises he made to David and to Solomon, and to Adam and Eve and the devil in the beginning, and in spite of the curse of Kuniah, all in the end it is resolved in perfect harmony. And we find Jesus Christ of the bloodline of David, thereby rightful heir to the throne, but circumventing the curse of Kuniah because he was virgin born. So now, turning back to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. Now after the, oh earth, oh earth, earth, (laughs) oh earth, 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 hear the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. It shall not happen. Now, in my Bible, you literally look right across the column, and it speaks of a king that shall reign. And by the way, in verse 5 of the next chapter, it says that a king shall reign, and what's the next word? Look, look at it. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. It says, a king shall reign and what? Prosper. Did you know that there are Jews to this day who struggle over this when they consider the curse of Coniah in chapter 22, and then they read this? It doesn't make sense to them. But yet, now when we can compare Scripture with Scripture from the book of Genesis all the way through history and then seeing even the genealogies. You thought those genealogies were boring. You didn't know they had such exciting things in them, did you? These genealogies, these genealogies solve the great curse of Coniah and showing that Jesus isn't a part of the curse of Coniah. But let's look here again at what's described in the prosperity of the branch the king that shall come. Let's read. You may have picked up in, in Jeremiah 22 and verse 22 a comment about Coniah's pastors and lovers. Pastors are shepherds. And, and he's saying that your pastors, those who have shepherded you, Coniah, they've not shepherded you in the right way. And they're going to be carried away. And so here now he curses Coniah And then he goes on and deals with the pastors. Chapter, so we've just finished the curse, end of chapter 22, and then Jeremiah says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. 
Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Here he's saying visitation of this kind is in judgment. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. God says he's going to bring the sheep back, the people back from being scattered, and he's going to set over them good shepherds that shall feed them. And one in particular, you all know him by the good shepherd. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch. David pictured as an olive branch, an olive tree, and one sprouting up from that olive tree as a righteous branch. Not like Coniah, who was wicked and evil, but righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So not only does the earth call to witness the curse against Coniah, the earth is also hereby called to be witness of the prophecy that a king will be raised up unto David who will reign and prosper. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. This is a prophecy of what we see described at the end of the book of Revelation as the thousand-year reign of Christ, which we still look forward to when Christ has promised in Revelation 4 that he will sit upon his throne. That's this throne of David. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. God has made promises here to the nation of Israel that they will be returned to their land that he promised to them as an everlasting possession, which has a whole other topic of significance. God keeps his promises. But I'd like to bring your attention back to that phrase there as we transition to remember how the Lord is our righteousness. What is his name here described? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, our righteousness. We sing a song, and in our song of Psalm 23, it's Jehovah Sitkenu. Jehovah Sitkenu. Do you ever wonder where Jehovah Sitkenu came from? It comes from right here. The Lord, our righteousness. So I ask the question, shall Jesus prosper? What's the answer? Yes. When he came into Jerusalem that day, the week before his crucifixion, and the crowds cried out to him, Hosanna, Hosanna, little did most of the people know that within a few days, the one they were crying out to and treating as the king would be killed. And many Jews say, see, he can't be Messiah. He didn't prosper. He died. How do we answer that? That's right. He rose again. 
He's one who has prospered, is prospering, and shall prosper. And no matter what curse may be pronounced upon those, I might really say the adoptive genealogy, it has no impact upon the one who secured my righteousness and your righteousness. He prospered. He prospered. And he will prosper. And so as we today give thanks at this communion table, we remember what he did, and we continue to do this till he come. And we're looking to the day when he comes, and we're looking forward to then when he will reign and will prosper with the nation of Israel gathered in their homeland. What a day that will be. Gracious God, we give thanks to you and thank you for the privilege to be called your children. We, though unrighteous, we, though filthy in sin, you have washed us with your blood and made us clean, and you have clothed us in your righteousness. And as we think back to that dreadful day when you hung there on that cross, and from the human perspective, from the earthly perspective, it seemed as if you not only didn't prosper, but was a failure. But when we can see it from the perspective of eternity, from the spiritual significance of what took place on that day, we praise you that in spite of any curse, in spite of any problem, in spite of everything, you prospered that day in securing for us our redemption. You secured for us the forgiveness of sins. You've provided to us the hope of salvation. We give thanks to you this day as we remember your sacrifice. May we be filled with gratitude as your people. We pray in your name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, if you take your hymnals, and what's the hymn number we have there, Bruce? 134.